Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. John chapter 6, let's look together. John 6, very well-known story, the feeding of the 5,000. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to, to come and to take him by force and to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this congregation. Thank you for the privilege of preaching the gospel. Lord, we do pray for the search committee. We pray for the next man you're bringing to this church. When I was about three or four years old, so really, really early, some of my earliest memories, we lived in Conway, Arkansas, where my dad Uh, was a family practice doctor in the town. And uh, across the street from where we lived in Conway was a lady that I knew and forever, uh, she'll always be Miss Jean. Her name was Miss Jean. She was probably my grandparents' age at the time. And um, she was one of these ladies, these older ladies that, that didn't talk down to children I couldn't stand, even as a little kid, they were like, okay, big boy, yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. Like, I remember as a little kid going, gross, gross. Like, I didn't, it made me feel weird. She talked to me like I was a person, and she was very kind to me. And I remember, I liked to talk to grown-ups, and I would just talk to her about all kinds of things, and I would talk to her, and one time I told her I liked oatmeal cookies, and she sent me home with a big grocery bag full of oatmeal cookies, and the bag was still warm. I remember this, and when I smell oatmeal cookies to this day, I think of this Jean, hot, warm oatmeal cookies. During that time in my early childhood, my parents had a lot of issues in their marriage, and there was, was a lot of hurt. And so in retrospect, I, and looking back now, um, I was growing up in a hard place. 
I wonder if that was one of the reasons Miss Jean was so compassionate to me. Maybe she knew. But one of my most important, maybe most sacred memories of my life was one day I told Miss Jean, as I did, that I loved fruit cocktail. My favorite snack, which was just basically the old Del Monte can of fruit cocktail, which is like, with like the gray grape in it, right? And it's just like, it's just syrup is all it is. It's not fruit, okay? But I was just remarking, because I'm sure I felt really sophisticated that I, like, I love fruit cocktail. You know, as a little kid just talking to this woman. And one day I was outside and Miss Jean said, Richie, come here. And so I walked, she had this little hill, and I remember walking up, uh, up, her, up this little hill to her house and, and she opened the door and she let me in. And at the end of her long, formal dining room table in fine china was fruit cocktail. I think that's, that, was, that was God. Because I felt so like she had listened to me, like she had heard me. And she went through this trouble and I felt so important. I felt so loved sitting at the end of this table eating this fruit cocktail. I didn't even know as a little boy how to process that, but I realize now that like, that's really where I met Jesus because that's what he's doing in this story. You see, the God of the universe hears us and he knows us. And what he's doing here is he knew what he would do is he was having a meal and to have a meal, to sit at a table with someone in, in, in the Near East and especially in the ancient world was, the, was the, the most important part of their society is how you showed hospitality to a guest. And to break bread was a, it was a profoundly symbolic and, and, and significant thing to do. It meant we are friends. It means I know you. I'm going to break bread with you. I want to be with you. I want to be friends with you. And so that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is like Miss Jean here. He's giving us what we need. And he's showing us that he is all we need. And so I'll look at two things today. And a so what. The first is, let's look at the hungry people. First point. Second, the hungry people with Jesus. So what? Hungry people with Jesus. Was, uh, which was the, the meal that they ate every single year that reminded them of the great exodus out of Egypt. And so Jesus is there during this time and this story is just chock full of Old Testament imagery, especially those of being a sheep. A sheep. Like Psalm 23, so much so that like in Mark's gospel, it, 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 he mentions that it was green grass. The grass was green. There was much grass. And it thinks, you think about like, you lead me to green pastures, like you feed me. You lead me beside still waters. So it's almost like Jesus is sitting there with his disciples and every single bit of the Old Testament promises from the, from the Exodus to the wandering in the desert to leaving Egypt to not having food and feeding them with manna from the desert, of being destitute, of being wanderers, of being sheep without a shepherd. And Mark's gospel also tells us that Jesus, when he sees the crowd, he's moved with compassion. We've talked about what that word compassion means. It means it's in his guts. Like when Jesus had compassion for people, he was moved. The way Miss Jean had compassion on me. To be a sheep without a shepherd is lost 
lost, like real lost, because sheep, they can't survive in the wild by themselves. They don't have any, like, they don't have sharp teeth, they don't have claws, they're a walking meal, right? That's what they are. They can't find grass, they cannot find water on their own, and so they need a shepherd. And so it's almost what Jesus is doing here, and and, and redemptive history was so planned and orchestrated by God that this this moment, this story, all of the images of wandering in the Old Testament, Jesus is going to do something so significant, and he knew he was going to do it that morning when he woke up. Do you ever feel just lost? I mean, just lost, flat lost, and you don't know where to go. Maybe you've gotten yourself in a mess. That's what happened to sheep all the time, and that's why the shepherd would go and find the sheep. And Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 15 about the the shepherd leaving the 99 sheep to go find the one, and then when he finds it, he rejoices. So I want you to see a compassionate God a thoughtful God, a God who listens, a God who sees us, a God who sees us both as a group and as individuals. He actually sees your story and look at what he's about to do. The hungry crowd. And this crowd is a, it's a cross section of society. It would have been like farmers and merchants and moms and dads and losers and winners. And this meal that they have breaks all kinds of rules. It is not a kosher meal. They don't do any of the things. There's nothing nothing available for them to do all the proper ceremonial cleansings to treat the food in a certain way, to treat the guests in a certain way and all the rules. And Jesus goes out of his way to walk right through the rules, to just literally break every man-made rule for compassion, for kindness, and for love. And so what we have here is this picture of people who are hated, this picture of people who are scandalous, these people who are unwanted, and Jesus bringing them all together, all of these people together, and then the fruit cocktail. You think about his soft spot. When someone says someone has a soft spot, Jesus' soft spot is just so for human beings. He sees your lostness, your desperation, your cluelessness, your inability to clean yourself up. He sees you with compassion. Now, is that the kind of God that you think is actually looking at you today? The kind of God who's actually looking at you today is a God who's moved in his guts with compassion, who sees you, who knows you, who knows every part of your broken story, who knows all your longings, all your shattered dreams, and all your secrets, and he's going to do something to show you that he is your friend. Come to the table with me. He's just so moved with compassion. I love this story from Mark chapter 9. There was this this boy who had these convulsions. And the father just comes to him and says, can you please help my boy? He's falling to the ground. He's throwing himself in the fire. He's just so hurt. He said, how long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked. Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. I kind of don't believe either. So you honestly think like, what kind of, 
This is a real test on the kind of God you actually think you have. When you ask and you say, I believe, I believe, and help me believe too because I also don't believe you. Like, if you have a God that says like, wrong answer, not sufficient. I bet in a room this size, I bet a lot of y'all have a God like that. You don't ever get it right. But you know what Jesus does? He rebuked the unclean spirit. And he said, you, you mute and you deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And then it says, Jesus took the boy by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Can you imagine being handicapped in the first century? We talked about this last week. Could you, could you imagine not being able to speak or to hear, not being able to read or to learn? How did people like this and most of the people were illiterate in this crowd too, by the way. How did people who were illiterate, uneducated, people with severe mental handicaps and problems and issues, how did these people get Jesus? I've been thinking about this for the last for six, six months. I'm kind of obsessed with this. How does someone who doesn't have even the mental capacity get Jesus? Someone who can't even understand dogma. They realize this, Jesus is it. Jesus himself is the whole thing. So the hungry people, he doesn't give you like, all right, you're hungry, here are four things you can do to deal with your hunger. You're desperate, here are, here are six things you can do to deal with your desperation. How do people that can't even pretend to strategize in their heads have Jesus? Here's what they did, because his first followers, that's what they were like. You know what they would do? How do you have the kingdom? They would say, him. How can you promise, how do you have eternal life? He, him. How are you forgiven? Him. Y'all, he is the promise. The person of Jesus is the destination. Right this second, he's the destination for your hungry soul. Having Jesus doesn't fix your life. Having Jesus transforms your soul and ushers you into the eternal kingdom right now. Jesus is everything. He's not a concept. He's not an idea for you to figure out. Christianity is not the same thing as Christ. Christianity is disappointing because we're in it. But the Christ, the Christ like Miss Jean, the one who listens, the one who has compassion, the one who knows every single thing about you, every single thing about what you've ever done or will again of the fruit cocktail. It wasn't fruit and heavy syrup. Miss Jean was giving me her love. That's what I remember. I do not remember eating the fruit cocktail. I remember being loved. God meets your hunger with himself. That's why he calls himself, I am the bread. Second, let's look at Jesus with these people. So how does Jesus do this miracle? 
And it's such a well-known, for if you're familiar with the Bible, it is such a well-known story. What does he do in this miracle? Let's walk through the miracle. So here's what happens. So we're at our second point now. They come to him and say, Jesus, like, Jesus starts the conversation. How are we going to feed all these people? And they're like, we can't. We can't. They're literally like, we can't. That's impossible. That's like sending a football stadium of people to like a food court in a mall, right? So 5,000 probably represented probably eight or 10,000 because they only counted the men. So 10,000 people, let's say. Jesus said, we need to feed all these people. And you know the disciples are going like, here he goes again. What do you mean we feed the people? Give them something to eat. Simon Andrew, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother comes to him and says, well, I have found someone who, I found one, one brown bag lunch. One guy has this brown bag. He said we could have it. It's like, what is it? It's five barley loaves and two fish. Hmm, okay. And then you think about 10,000 people. Like, do you see the difference between those two? Do you see the, like, the differential But I want you to see what Jesus is doing when he, he, he takes this meager lunch and he breaks the bread and he blesses it. He's doing something. He's showing you what the kingdom is all about. He's showing you what Jesus, what God is all about, why he's come to do all of these things. And here's what he's done. He's using his power for you. Why does God use his power? He's not like the other gods. The other gods... They throw like lightning bolts to like show off. So you'll be terrified of them. They bow up. They're like superheroes. But Jesus only uses his power for the powerless. See, he's looking out at this crowd and he can't wait to harness the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable power at his disposal for this group of losers. And what he, wants his, what he wants his disciples to do by asking them, like, you feed them. He wants them to feel how powerless they are. In other words, he wants them to embrace and feel how absurd it is that you're going to feed 10,000 people with this lunch, with one boy's lunch. He wants them to feel how completely impossible it is so that they may see just how powerful and wonderful he is. Y'all, that may be exactly what God is doing in your life right now as you raise teenagers. Or as you, as you, or, or you're staring down some prognosis, some diagnosis that's terrifying. Or as you're looking at the impossibility of your marriage. To feel, to feel the impossibility the absolute impossibility so you can see that God has all the power. Here's, don't be afraid of how powerless you feel. Don't, that's what he's doing with his disciples. And so what he does is he has them, he says, break the group up, have them sit in, in these little groups of 12. We're gonna, we're gonna break them up. And, and he, 
the, the, all of this is symbolic Old Testament stuff. He's replaying the nation of Israel wandering in the desert. He's replaying the whole thing. about, this is what it's about. It's about me doing this right here for you in your powerlessness. This is the meaning of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it also means this, that God loves to use us for his kingdom. See, he could have done all of this by himself. He didn't need to use the disciples. He didn't need to use the little lunch. But he wanted to use the lunch. And he wanted the disciples to be involved. He wanted them to be a part of it. And so I want you to think about the next season of Christ's community. He wants to use you because of your weakness. Do you see that? He wants to use the hardest parts of your story for his kingdom. Is that not a reframe? The things that you look at and say, well, when I get this part of my life together, then I'll maybe like, will like serve and maybe really like tell, want to tell people about Jesus. When I get these things, when I, when I get, if and when I get these things together, if I get this stuff together, then I'll be qualified. And, and there's the thing, y'all, don't do that. I've wasted so much of my life doing that. Don't wait till your life is all together to invite someone to church. Don't wait until your marriage is perfect to actually think that God's gonna use you. No, no, no. God is using your imperfection. And I think a lot of us are paralyzed because we're looking at the little five loaves and the two fish and saying like, well, I don't, and they say, that's the way he wants to do everything. It's profoundly encouraging to me that the best ministry, y'all, I struggle with OCD and intrusive thoughts. Big time. I mean, like, big time. Like, I get the most bizarre, sick, disturbing thoughts in my head, have my whole life, and for years, I would try to, like, stop it, stop it, quit. I would think I'd lost my salvation. I would think I was condemned. I couldn't pray enough. I couldn't do all these things. I was a complete wreck, especially in my 20s. I, mean, I was depressed. I didn't want to live at all. It was so scary sometimes. But you know what? That struggle in my life is the only reason, if you like my preaching, that's the only reason you like it. I promise you. My deepest struggle with my, with my obsessive compulsive thoughts and my intrusive thoughts and the most disturbing, sick things, that is what God has used in my life to show me how much he loves me down to the very bottom. So that you may then get that. I know the love of Jesus so much because he dug this enormous chasm out of my heart to pour his grace and love in. That's what this story is. Fruit cocktail, bread, fish, impossibility. That's who he's come to do. It is in the midst, in the very face of your impossibility. The biggest struggles you've had, the darkest parts of your story. That's the kingdom of God. What's happening here is what's called a messianic banquet. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. It's the preview of the wedding supper of the lamb at the end of history. We will feast in the house of Zion. You know what that means? We will feast together with Jesus, with all the, those who've gone before us, and it will be a great party, a meal at the end of the world that Jesus Christ came by the breaking of his own body and the pouring out of his own blood, and we'll do that when we come to the table at the end of the service, that what's happening here is the meaning of the world. 
It is the one thing everything else is flowing into, this great moment, that no matter how scary and hard this year has been, no matter how impossible this year has been, no matter how discouraged you are, God gets the last word. And that's why Jesus says, I bless you, Father. Let's do this. Let's do this. So you got the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth will bring us all together. One of the things I love about that song is he has done great things we will say together. One of those stories will be about the fruit cocktail. He has done great things we will say together. He has done great things. What are those great things? He has forgiven you and accepted you. He loves you. He has renovated the cosmos. Colors that we didn't even know exist will leap like lightning through the clouds. He has done great things. Your conscience clear and cleansed. He has done great things. Your body restored. He has done great things. So what? This story is about abundance, the abundance of the, mess, of the Messiah. This is what, it, why does Jesus at the end of this story say, gather up all the fragments and put them in baskets? Gather up all the fragments, put them in baskets. What do you think? 12 different ones. Here's what he's want. What does he want these disciples to do? And they don't really get it. It's okay yet. Get, get, get 12 baskets and put all the fragments. And everyone was full, like Thanksgiving full, like adjust your belt full. So like they'd eaten enough, like, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And after everyone was full, there were 12 baskets. I want you to take 12 baskets. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. That's what Jesus is doing, he's going, Fill them up. Look at it. Look what I'll do for you. Look what I'm going to do with the world. Look what I'm going to do. There's, no, there's nothing in your life that he will not overcome. Look at it. The abundance of what he's doing. You know, my unbelief that I struggle with in my life is I think I'm too much for Jesus. I think my problems are too much for Jesus. I think my sin is too much for Jesus. I think my family is too much for Jesus. I think my problems, I just think I'm just too much for Jesus. One, two, three, four, five. Here's what he's doing. Look at me, I'm walking on water. Look at me, I'm filling these baskets. Look at me, I'm dying. Look at me, I'm raising again from the dead. I'm rising again from the dead. That's what it means to be with Jesus. Jesus. Leftovers, <laughs> how hilarious. He also wants us to come to terms with our limitations and feel our finitude to be finite. Our humanity, he does not despise it. He does not despise your limitations. I remember hearing uh, an interim pastor once, one time when I was in Memphis. Interim pastors can kind of parachute in, go boom, right? <laughs> right? Okay. I remember, here's what he said to us. So here's what he said to us. He said, and it was, a, it was a, a wealthy, established church in Memphis. And he says, 
You need to repent of your competence. How competent you are, repent. Now, he wasn't saying like, don't try, don't be excellent, know your jobs. He says, but when it comes to the kingdom, he says, you will not experience the power of God, the real power of God to carry out the work of the kingdom as a believer until you embrace how finite and limited you are. Then you will use. Show up with your little no lunch. Show up with your sin. Show up with your, with your prayers that you can barely stutter out. Show up with the, the dead end of your life. Show up with all of those things. And he will always meet you with this loving power. He will always be this way. Every single time he will be this way. And then finally, this story is about being one of the crowd. Just being one of the unwashed masses on the side of the hill. So much of my life, I've wanted to be better than everyone. I wanted to be special. I wanted to be unique. But you know what? I had tie my shoes. I had nothing to bring. But you know what? She saw me and loved me just because I was a little boy, a little human. And she had compassion on me. Y'all, what does God want me to do? What is he calling me to do? Fruit cocktail. God is calling you to listen to the people in your life and to meet them in those ways. As one of my friends used to say, embarrassingly simple, embarrassingly simple and concrete actions of love and kindness. And to be the crowd means to just come on to the house. I'll close with, close with the word of the great theologian Tom Waits. Well, the moon is broken and the sky is cracked. Come on up to the house. The only thing you can see is all that you lack. Come on up to the house. All your crying don't do you any good. Come on up to the house. Come down off your cross. We could use the wood. Come on up to the house. There's nothing in the world you can do, so come on up to the house. You've been whipped by the forces that are inside you. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up to the house. That's who Jesus is calling. That's what he's doing. Come on up. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to be honest. Lord, thank you for meeting me in really dark places and scary places in my life and letting your light shine. Thank you for breaking bread with me. Thank you that we get to go to this table and be reminded that you, you are the great host. And you want more than anything in this world for all of us to sit at your table. Lord, I pray for those who, who want to know you and want to hear you but they never have. And Lord, I pray you would meet them, Holy Spirit. That you would give them faith, like childlike faith, to just eat the bread that you give, to receive the gift that is Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.